we could put up the, uh, yeah, we got that there. So Songs of Ascent, who here knew what Songs of Ascent were before this series started? Show of hands. Got one, two, two, not bad. I did not know what they were. Who here's enjoyed the sermon series so far? It's been good, right? I feel really loud. Okay. So one of the things that I thought was real interesting with this and with today is we're wrapping it up. So we, I get the last two songs of ascent. And these were what the Jewish people would sing as they'd be on the way to the temple. And, you know, how many of you read through Psalms before? I feel like I read this and I just kind of raced through it and was like, that's yeah, kind of not important. You know, how many of you have ever sat down and read scripture and just kind of like, I don't see the point, right? So if we could put up the first slide that I had, I titled today, uh, Purpose. And you won't find purpose in any of the scripture, but I, I promise there's a way that we kind of got it there. And so I, I had three questions that I felt the Lord gave me as I was preparing. The first one is, and if you're taking notes, Write these down because I'd like you to answer them at the end. So the first one is, what is your life's purpose? Just repeat that again. Start to think about it. What is your life's purpose? The second one is, what is God's purpose for your life? Take, take notes because I will probably be quizzing you later on. What is God's purpose for for your life. And the third one was actually the one that kind of got me. Do those two answers overlap? Because I'll be honest, for most of my day in and day out, they probably don't overlap as much as they should. You know, I have, I have my work, I have my kids. I try to do everything unto the Lord. But the reality is I feel a lot of times wind up just doing it in my own strength. So we're going to be reading out of uh, Psalm 133 and 134 today. And if we put up the next slide, the, uh, just so you know, the first three slides are just on note page one. Slide four takes a while. All right, so we're going to dive in. So if you have your Bible with you or your Bible app, if you could open up to Psalm 133. And it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. It's kind of cool. It's got some good words. Reads quick. So like if my boys, I tell them you have to read a chapter, they love ones like this because they can be done in a couple seconds. <laughs> chapter done. Um, yeah, it is sometimes, isn't it, Xander? Thank you for engaging too. I love it. But as I, as I read this, I was telling Pastor Mike earlier, I just kind of, I read through it. He asked, hey, do you want to speak? And I almost said no. <laughs> I'm like, well, I got kids. 
Jen's like, you should really probably do it. I'm like, but I, I'm supposed to be teaching Sunday school, and um, luckily Lauren, uh, she volunteered to take it over for me. Um, and the Lord kind of convicted me. He's like, why did you just rush through it? The very first word, behold. Stop. Take a look. I just flew by it. But it's a command. Stop. Take a look. How good it is. My brothers dwell in unity. And so that sent me on a little bit of a quest. And we're going to circle back to the unity part. I wanted to take a look at dwell. So dwell is life. It's where we do life. Behold where you do life. So how many of us take a regular look around where we go to the supermarket? How many of us take a look where we travel to work? And do we see the kingdom of God as we're passing through those things? Do you stop and really see your fellow brothers and sisters as you're driving in traffic to get to work? Or better yet, driving in Clifton Park trying to get to sporting events that happen like five minutes after you get out of work. It's stressful. The next two verses are kind of interesting because it's comparing what dwelling in unity is like. If we could go on to slide three, I'd like to start with the first one there. It's like the precious oil. Does anyone know what kind of symbolism the author's using here? Yep, it is. Do you know where he's getting it from? So this is in the Old Testament, so if you pull out any New Testament scriptures, it's probably not the case. So I have to go back to Exodus and Exodus 30 in particular. In there, the Lord says to Moses, take the finest spices, and he lists a number of them, and he says, mix them together as by a perfumer, someone who makes perfume. So the anointing oil is actually a perfume, and one of the songs we were talking about is a fragrance from heaven. The psalmist was using some of the same symbolism to pull heaven to earth. And the Lord specifically says, with this you shall anoint the tent of the meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils and the lampstands and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering and all of their utensils and the basins and their stands and the altar of the uh, you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. So the author says, unity is like the holiness of God. Our unity, working together to glorify God, actually brings the tangible presence of the King of Kings from heaven to earth. And they didn't have language for that because they didn't have the sacrificial lamb, Christ Jesus, who opened up the separation between the Holy of Holies and people. But they had a type and cast. They had the ark 
They had the covenant. They had the temple in tent form with a veil that separated people from it. So in the Old Testament, they didn't have access, yet they still knew there was a fragrance that came out of a holy place that made things holy. And they understood that by laboring together, living together in unity, it actually made manifest that. I was struck by that. Verse 3, it continues down. Dew. Who here knows anything about dew? Forms in the morning, right? So hot days leading to cold nights, water condenses and winds up being on the vegetation. Right? There's not anything super special about that. But if you look at an arid region like the Middle East, dew can account for almost half of the water rainfall that they get. It's instrumental in sustaining life. Dwelling in unity is being related to the very thing that provides life. And again, the author would be pulling from something that he saw before. He's going back to Exodus 16. And again, another favorite Bible story that everyone learned, manna from heaven, right? Who here knows that story? Who here really knows it? Very first thing the Lord said, don't collect too much. Very first thing the people did, collect too much. I mean, Jesus, the triune Father, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit was talking to the people. And he says, call the people together so I can address them. I've heard their grumbling. I will provide for you meat at night, manna in the morning. Collect this much for each person in your tent. Day one. I collect more than that because I don't believe the Lord will do what he says he will do. How many of us think like, man, if I was there, I wouldn't do that. You're lying to yourself. So he says, hey, collect what you need. Do is like the very thing that supplies the need, and it's a scent from God for the season and hours that you live in to show who he is so that you can trust him. I mean, how many people, again, I teach in Sunday school normally, so you see I have a lot of Sunday school references. How many love the story of David? How about David and Goliath, right? Super cool story. But the way it starts out, he looks at it and he says, Goliath will be like, he'll be like the lion, he'll be like the bear. It was the very thing that the Lord had taken him through. God is constantly revealing life to us through our experiences so that we can work together and trust him. Because the only way we can live in unity is if we truly lay down ourselves and pick up Christ and Christ crucified. So throughout the Old Testament, we're seeing it without the lens of Christ yet. Yet today, we're here with Christ, and we still have the same things happening because we continue to go back to our fallen nature and say, I'd rather be in Egypt. I don't believe you're real for setting me free to walk into what you called me for. 
I don't get up and prophesy to my destiny to come forth because I don't think I can. And then we say we want Acts 2, but we're never willing to lay down our life and really sacrificially love our brothers and sisters. Jesus, who did he have the hardest words for? The people who were supposed to know him. He made it more difficult for those coming in. Who here thinks that the Lord only started doing that in the New Testament? He didn't. Leviticus, those who sojourn with you, treat them as if they were you. Yet how often did Israel bring somebody alongside them that wasn't them, and the very first thing they did was, oh, we're unclean. We set up barriers because we're afraid of trusting the Lord that keeps the very people that he wants to bring in. And yet we say we have the Holy Spirit. While we're pushing people away from Christ because we see disunity, division, our own fleshly desires coming out all the time. And we'll sit here and say we're holy and we're righteous. But we don't get real with God and say, search my heart. Reveal the areas where I'm putting my own will above yours. And I'm not speaking as somebody who's living this out yet. That was actually one of the biggest convictions as I got into this. Lord, how can I say these things? I don't, I don't really live these out myself. I felt like he said, well, you don't, but you're going to have to start. <laughs> so, not there yet. But I love some movie references. One of them is from The, the uh, Patriot with Mel Gibson. One line he had in there was, aim small, miss small. So if you aim at perfect, even if you miss it by 10%, you're still 90% perfect. So often we get so daunted by aiming for perfection, aiming at the true heart of the Lord for what he wants to do in this hour, that we never get started. Well, I'm so far away. I, I've worked so hard and I'm this close. But if we really get a heart of like, Let's get into hitting the small target. I think it really changes a ton of things. So those are the two things he said it's like. We can go on to uh, the next slide, please. Just to summarize what I feel those two things really scrutinize and reveal. The importance of dwelling in unity is an expression of God's holiness and his provision. Christ said it this way, the world will know that I was sent for them by how you dwell in unity. If you can be united to me in the Father and then united to your brothers, it's going to prove that I was sent. A couple things unity is not. Unity is not sameness. For example, my boy in the room here, who I said he's going to have to come up here. He's 11. His life experiences are totally different than mine. Encountering the Holy Spirit for him is going to yield a very different result than for myself. 
going a little bit further, my wife, who is about the same age, her life experiences are totally different as a woman. When she encounters the Lord, how she sees the Lord and who he chooses to reveal himself as is going to take on a little bit different flavor because he's made her to be different than me. Who she can connect to, to minister to, is different. So look out, there's, there's people who have a little bit different color skin than me. Your experience with God and your community is different than mine. But those differences don't need to make us in disunity. They're the, actually the very thing that makes us stronger so we can reach more people. Because he led you through a life so that you could understand him in a way different than me. So when people come in who have differences and need to know that God loves them, you can express it and say, hey, I was there. I love the Salvation Army. William Booth, one of the founders, he, he found something that was really interesting. He would get up and preach and no one got saved. But the first time somebody from the community who was a drunkard and totally out of society, good grace, as soon as that person got saved, when that person got saved and said, hey, God did this in my life and my life is transformed, guess what? That whole community started to get transformed. So too often we're like, well, we have to start acting and talking and looking the same. It's like, well, no, we're just called to different areas to minister. The other thing, a lot of times what winds up happening when we start going down a unity thing, us and them. Enemy used this as the very first trick. Did God really say that? It's a separation. And we still fall victim to it. I don't understand them because they have this, this, and this. It's because you're not seeing them through the lens of the Holy Spirit. You're seeing them through the lens of a fallen world. And you're allowing that fallen world to dictate how you think about them. Growing up, my kids learned pretty early, I will never laugh at a joke that makes fun of somebody. They're made in the image of God to be image bearers. You can never laugh at something, even if they do something silly. Only confession I have is sometimes when my kids do things silly, I do laugh at them. I feel that's different, though, because I've definitely labored over them, so I have a right to. But how often do we see in us and them throughout the Bible? How about the parable of the Good Samaritan? Needing to justify himself, the lawyer's like, who is my brother? So imagine sitting there talking to Jesus, and he says, love God, love your love your neighbor, love your brother. Well, who's my brother? Any of you guys ever do that? Feel the Lord talking to you, and all of a sudden you have to start justifying how you're thinking? The king of kings who spoke existence into existing is telling you something, and you want to justify yourself? Be honest with yourself. You've done it. I've done it. So Jesus tells a story. Interesting thing here, he starts off with what? Two people who were religious. How many of you know what the Jews felt about the Samaritans? You know? You know a little bit about them, right? They're unclean. They were something that would defile the Jews if they went and hung out with them. 
Do you also know they worship the same God? Part of the same family. As people, we've been falling trapped to this over and over and over again. The person who was a brother was the Samaritan who saw the brokenness, didn't judge because of the brokenness, saw the kingdom in another person, and said it's worth investing my time, my treasure, my thought, my care. Other issue with unity, I feel, is control. How many have been in church for a while? Show of hands. Okay, good. Some people are still alive. Um, who here has ever heard, like, well, we don't, we don't want to speak about heresy or got to watch your, you know, theology so you don't have bad theology? Right? How many have seen at the hands of good theology, unkindness. Now, it's important to have good theology. Don't get me wrong. However, the Lord told a prophet to go marry a prostitute so he could reveal his plans and purposes. It's pretty, pretty bad theology right there. You know, I can't imagine ever starting premarital counseling and saying, yes, that's a good idea. <laughs> What's the worst that can happen? God does some pretty crazy things when he chooses to reveal who he is because guess what? He's not limited to our understanding. Now, you still have to be aware of bad theology and bad doctrine and bad things, but you don't have to be afraid of them. How many here would ever say your kid isn't your kid because they made a mistake? It just wouldn't happen. They make mistakes. That's how they learn. I always loved math because it was full of trial and error. You could make mistakes and your teacher still said, good job, because you're supposed to. You can't get to the truth without making some mistakes. I'm under, I'm over, I'm under, I'm over, but I'm constantly getting closer and closer. Trial and error is a great teacher. Yet in the church we say, don't do it. You want to experience God? Guess what? You got to get out and experience Him. Guess what? That also means you're probably going to make some mistakes. Now I look at some of the messages I gave to teenagers back in what, 2000. Oh my God, those are the worst messages ever. <laughs> I have learned so much more since then. I should never have been given a microphone. You know, another 10 years from now, I'll probably be like, Mike, I can't believe you gave me a microphone. Because I keep learning and I keep getting closer and closer to that mark. But I'm not afraid of my mistakes. I get to point back to him and say, hey, I'm a person. I get to point back and say, wow, look at what he's done in my understanding of who he is. Who here doesn't understand him? Guess what? You can learn. And he'll love you through all your mistakes. And your mistakes don't disqualify you from walking in unity. Yesterday doesn't determine tomorrow. The Holy Spirit does. You get the opportunity to say yes or no. How many of us get up and actually say yes, though? 
How many of us get up and don't say anything at all? I was talking to a youth um, a couple weeks ago, and I said, hey, you should get up and make your bed, because then you have one thing done that you can say I did successfully every day. Because success breeds success. And I'm, I'm revising that. The first thing you should do is wake up and say yes to the Lord, then make your bed. And then you'll have two things done before you ever left your room. <laughs> Think about it. If you can successfully say yes to the Lord every single morning and mean it in your heart, make your bed, you can leave your room knowing you accomplished something and face the rest of the trials that you'll have that day. And you'll be able to say, I said yes. My bed is clean. I have clean underwear on. <laughs> Little things. I have, um, and I'll provide it, a listing of, a, I don't know, I think it was like 60 scriptures, starting the Old Testament, going all through the New Testament, where the Lord says how important it is to love him. And then out of that, it talks about loving your brothers. Old Testament, New Testament, the message has been the same. All of the law, all the prophets hang on that one thing. Love God, all your heart, and love your neighbor. But so often, we can make excuses for ourselves, but then somebody else, they make a similar mistake, and it's like, ooh, you made that mistake. We probably need to excommunicate you. We don't do that here, typically. <laughs> Control and understanding, that's another big one. In Mark 2, Jesus is speaking, and some people... They have a paralyzed friend, so they climb up on the, they can't get him in, so they climb up and dig a hole in another person's roof and lower him down. Jesus is surrounded by people who are supposed to be expecting him to come. And he says, your sins are forgiven. The only thing they heard was your sins were forgiven, and guess what? That's a blasphemy. And he's like, so... You can know that the Son of Man has been given the authority to forgive sins. Which one's more difficult? Get up and walk or your sins are forgiven? And he says, so you can know that I've been given authority to do this. Get up, walk. And the guy got up and walked. But the people in the room were roadblocks. You see a paralyzed person being carried and you stand in front of him so he can't get there? Or how about the friends? They could have given up. How many of us would have seen a person in need and been willing to do something crazy like dig a hole in a roof to lower him down? They understood that Jesus had a key, and they were willing to do whatever it took to get that person to the key. But the people who were the roadblocks, were the people who were supposed to know that Jesus was coming. Because they didn't trust, and they didn't believe, and they wanted to control what it looked like. Jesus looked like this. We've read it. We understood it. He looks like this. And when he looked a little bit different, guess what? They missed him. Another thing with unity that I thought was interesting who here has heard the story of the Tower of Babel? Right? Again, like I said, Sunday school teacher, so lots of Sunday school references. 
Tower of Babel is so amazing to me. The people were starting to spread out, and they said, so that everyone will know who we are, we're going to build a tower. And they started putting it together. That was pretty cool. Try to get a room full of people to do anything together can be kind of difficult. But they let, let's do this. Lord comes down. He looks at it, and he says, man, they're going to accomplish whatever they put their mind to because they're united. So we're going to mess that up <laughs> because they're united in what they want it, not in what I want to accomplish. They're setting up an altar to themselves about how great they are and how cool they are and how this they are with no regard for my eternal purposes of ushering in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to sanctify him and set him free. But because they were so easily able to unite because they all spoke the same language, he's like, that's not okay. To this day, one of the single biggest barriers is what? Language. What's the first miracle Jesus had happen after he went up to be with the Father? It's in Acts 2, in case you're wondering. Tongue of fire, yep. But what was the effect? The people sitting there who are from different areas, living together from different areas, all heard in their own language the glory of God. Disciples were united in one place, seeking after the Lord, loving him, saying yes, and then jumped out. All of a sudden, people are hearing in their own language, Christ, Christ crucified, the only way to heaven. They didn't have to go looking for him. They didn't have to go very far, actually. They just went outside their room. Five thousand added. So those are a whole bunch of examples of kind of what unity isn't and what unity is. It starts, though, with loving God. So your homework is to go home, and we'll do a little bit of it here today, but your homework is to go home and ask the Lord to search your heart and ask him the rough question, do I really love you? Do I really trust you? be okay with his answer, because most likely he'll say something similar to what he said to me. He's like, you don't, but I'm helping you get there. The situations in life where you've had to trust me, I'm helping you understand my provision. I'm helping you understand my leading. I'm helping you understand so that you can trust me, so that you can truly walk with me, so you can truly know me and how much I care for you so that you can be my image bearer. Another key thing is the spirit. We can't do this on our own. How many try to do it on your own? Like, and it happens the longer we've been doing it, right? So when I first started out working in IT, I used to pray all the time, Lord, help me. <laughs> like, I'm making mistakes. I, like... Things are coming at me from every which way. 
Lord, help me. Oh, my goodness. What am I going to do with this fire? What am I going to do with that fire? How am I going to handle this? But you know what happens is you start learning how to do it. And then you stop asking the Lord to help you. Oh, I know how to do that. Oh, I can do this. Oh, I can do that. And I feel that's the single biggest thing that we as a church need to get out of. When I talk to people, a lot of times I hear the discontentedness. How many here are discontented with society? Discontented with your walk with the Lord? Discontented with what New York State looks like? The answer, trust God, love him, love your neighbors. It will transform our community. It will transform New York. It will transform how we see it, even if some, the laws don't change. And I was talking to my wife years ago, and we were talking about the abortion issue and the laws. And I had an epiphany. We don't need to change the laws. We need to change the hearts and minds of people, but they don't feel like they need to do that. When they don't feel they need to do that, guess what? The laws won't matter because people won't be doing it. And the laws will start to reflect our hearts. Yeah, we focus on, you know, what side of issues people fall on. And not their heart. A couple of cool things about the Spirit. In uh, Ezekiel, the Lord promises to remove our heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh. Give us his spirit so we can walk in all his ways. How many of you guys get up and say, I can walk in all his ways? I can obey every command and live a sinless life. He promised it for you. In the Old Testament, before Christ. And he said, I'm not going to do it because you're anything special, but because you profane my name and I need to make sure everyone knows my name is holy. He's not even going to do it because you're awesome. He's going to do it because he is. In the New Testament, it says the Holy Spirit's going to come and lead us into all truth. And it's not because he's leading us into the Spirit's version of the truth, but it's because he's leading us into Christ and God the founders of truth. And you can see that in John 16, the other one that I talked about earlier, Ezekiel 36, and then John 17. Jesus is praying, and I, I always got a kick out of this one. He said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They may also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you have given me, I give to them, that they may be one, even as we are. And he continues on to just pray over us, that our lives and our words would line up with his. And we fast forward to Acts 2 that I already referenced. And Peter gives a sermon their initial thought was that these people must be drunk because a commotion's coming up. They've, I don't know, anyone ever see somebody who's had too much alcohol? Typically their inhibitions are lowered, they're doing things that are silly, things that they normally wouldn't do. 
And I just put that out there because as you start to say yes, some of your better nature is probably going to be challenged to let aside some of these things that cause you to be reserved. How many people would be in the middle of uh, Walmart and be willing to prophesy over somebody? How many would ask before going in, Lord, give me one person that I can love on? Opportunities are there. And again, I'm not saying this to put heavy-handed emotional things to you. But these are practical steps that we can be taking to see the kingdom of heaven here. That each and every one of you, it's not very hard to say yes and say, Lord, show me one person. Now, some people are more outgoing. It's going to be easier for them. Some people are going to be very reserved. And it's going to be much more difficult for them. Well, if you're a Moses and it's difficult, pray for your Aaron to come alongside you. You don't have to do everything on your own, but be engaged. The Lord hasn't called me to that. Okay, well, has he not called you to that or are you just afraid? If you're afraid, ask for the answer to bring strength to you to do it. But don't stop because you feel like you hit a little bit of resistance. How often do you make excuses for not wanting to do it? Hey, for those guys in here who work outside the home, if you're coming home and your wife asks you to stop, if you start doing this, they'll stop asking you to stop at the store. And I can attest to that because <laughs> Jen would be like, can you get milk on your way home? I'm sure, two hours later, because I asked the Lord what store to go to, and I went out of my way, and I met somebody there, and I started ministering. She's like, that's it. I'll just get milk myself. But man, so much life happened because I was willing to say, which way do you want me to go home and take care of this normal thing that I would have to do? It wasn't because I was special. All right. I felt the Lord gave this to me. We are called to live in unity. And the hour we are in now needs us to truly humble ourselves before the Lord and ask him if we are. If we are not individually walking in unity with the Lord and our brothers, we need to ask him to reveal himself afresh today so that we can. God chose our unity through him to be the vehicle that will bring his kingdom. How many want to see his kingdom come? His will be done. Amen. How many are willing to say yes to it and lay down your own preferences? How many are you willing to say, Lord, search my heart. Lead me different today. If you can put up uh, slide five, and I'm going to go quick because I am over. Uh, next one. So now this was interesting. I read through this one real quick. The same way I did the other one. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. I feel these are actually tied together. Outside of having unity, we can't consecrate people off to be able to stand in the house of the Lord. Because they need to be supplied for. 
we need to actually prioritize the house of the Lord and worshiping God and having people before the Lord night and day interceding for this generation, interceding for this community, for his plans and purposes. But the only way people can do that is if other people will support them to be able to do that. Otherwise, they burn out because you can't work, take care of a family, do this, do that, do the other thing, and stay awake all night. Anybody try? It's hard. So we need unity to actually come in and lift our hands. And I, I submit to you all today that the Lord wants to do something radical in our hearts and our minds to remove the roadblocks that keep us from unity. I feel like this is an hour where the kingdom is at hand. Like, we don't have a lot of time left before the trials and tribulations of the final age. We don't have a lot of time to have our family members encounter God. We don't have a lot of time for our friends. We don't have a lot of time to sit here and fight amongst each other while the world looks in and says, why would I want to be that? And it's up to you to choose whether or not you want to be a part of that answer. Can we go to the last slide? Investigate your heart. Now, these are all kids, and that actually was what the template had. But I, I prayed for the template, and I had a different one to start with. But when I looked at this, a kid looking at the inner workings of something with total amazement. When you're looking at the inner workings of your heart, don't take all the experience of why something won't happen into it. Actually, let it go. And look like a child at your own heart and say, Lord, search me with childlike faith that he wants to encounter you where you're at for a new thing. The other aspect of it is explore the area around you. How many of us actually get excited to walk down the street and see what's going on? Like amazement of, wow. We've lost our wonder and then we're puzzled why we don't see signs and wonders. Explore your community with the Lord. Put on your explorer hat, seriously. Say, Father God, show me this awesome thing. You know, it's funny, my boys ask me questions and my wife says, you answer everything very like authoritative, like you know what you're talking about. God wants to do that. The only difference is he probably actually does know everything. Whereas me, I, I do make up a lot of things. <laughs> oh, this works this way because of this. But they have an amazement and they ask the questions. And put it together. You know, the Lord put you together for a plan and a purpose for this hour, for this season. Because he wants to use who you are as a gift to those around you. So if the worship team could start coming back up, we're going to kind of wrap up here. But I, I want to take a moment and start to ask these questions to the Lord. Am I in unity? Do I trust you? Search me.
Can I get that last slide one more time? Sorry. Lord, open my eyes to see the people around me. Who am I supposed to be a brother or sister to that I'm not? I know there's people in this community that feel like they don't have brothers and sisters. People here that we say we love feel that. Ask the Lord to reveal to you those people and ask him to give you a word for them. See the special in them. Anybody like Lego movies? The special. Come on. Get wonder like that for the special in the people around you. Who here ever seen a kid that likes Legos? They will spend hours putting these things together. Hours upon hours. Get that wonder. So we're going to wrap up, and I'm just going to pray. If you want to come forward and be alone with the Lord, I encourage you to. If you want to take this home, feel free to take it home. But don't leave and let this moment pass you by. Father God, as we bow our heads, if there's anyone here who has not accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, I would encourage you that he made his son a sacrifice, that you could know him and know your purpose. If there's anyone here today who has known God but walked away, today is your hour to come back and say, I'm going to say yes. If there's anyone here who's like, Jim, I want to aim small and miss small. I want to walk a sinless life because I believe he's called me to it. Now is the time to say yes. Now is the hour for you to encounter the God who made you for your purpose. Father, I thank you for encountering us today. I thank you for the humble words you gave. I pray that your spirit would move upon our hearts to convict us, to encourage us, and to lead us into this next season that you have for us. As we stand and worship you, we open up the altar. There's prayer. Team will be in the back if you want somebody to pray with you. They're there to pray with you. You do the altars just to encounter the Lord by yourself. If you need somebody to encounter with you, feel free to go over there. If you said yes to the Lord for the first time, go to the prayer team and let them know. They'd love to pray with you some more. Be released into trusting him, walking in unity, and for your purposes being established. In Jesus' name.